we've got a little girl from Ethiopia. She's our youngest student. Her name is Benmet. And she is, came in, she was so shy. She was so soft-spoken. She was so slow. She was one of those kids that you're like, oh, I don't think she's ever going to be able to bridge. Can you tell me your name? My name is Benmet. And how long have you been training jujitsu? I don't know. <laughs> but is it, is it fun? Yeah. She's still soft-spoken. She's still sweet. She's still sheepish. But she will roll with the boys. She'll do takedowns. She'll, she'll do it. She just has that, I'm going to do it. And seeing that from this little girl, easily one of the youngest in the class and um, very shy, seeing her kind of come out of her shell has been awesome. A couple of months ago, I started hearing about this thing going on in Charlotte. It was J.M. Smith, this Christian guy. And they're holy rollers, whatever. A Henzo Gracie brown belt who was doing something unexpected. Especially if, like me, you, and everyone else, you build your expectations about how people treat refugees and immigrants from what you see about their religion and politics on social media. Uh, my name is J.M. Smith. It's short for James Michael, but nobody but my mom and family <laughs> go by the double name. Um, I teach. I, I actually a, a Bible teach. I'm a minister, and I teach a Bible study weekly and a podcast, Disciple Dojo podcast. And then the other wing of what I do is this, refugee jitsu, um, teaching jujitsu to refugee, immigrant, and low-income kids in the Charlotte area. Our show is going to sound a little different today. We took a road trip, and we met some people who train at an academy that only exists for a couple of hours a week. My name is Ahmad Bilaz. I've been training two and a half years, and I like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's fun. Can you tell me your name and how long you've been coming to jiu-jitsu? My name is Wajid, and I think I've been coming over here for like four months. My name is Almas Bibi, and I've been working for almost two months. Um, my name is Jason Torres, and I've been coming here since like the ha half day of summer. My name is Mazama. One month, I think. I'm Jeff Shaw, and I've been training since February 14th, 2011. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, Back a couple of years ago, there were the San Bernardino shootings out in California. And after that, I, I had spent some time in, in Bethlehem in the West Bank and Palestine. And so I had a heart already for just the relationship between East and West, between uh, particularly Muslim, Middle Eastern. And, and that's the biggest crisis right now is the refugee crisis in the Middle East. And so I, there were a couple of things going on. I was really um, depressed by the response I was seeing from people who otherwise claim to be morally righteous, upright people, but yet when it came to just the issue of refugees, there was either apathy, indifference, or sometimes outright hostility. To me, I mean, as, as, a, you know, as a Bible teacher, I just think, well, Jesus was a refugee. I mean, he and his family fled in the Middle East to Egypt at, you know, from a conflict zone. And just, I was like, how can you not 
even with fears that people have and, and kind of nationalist concerns and things like that, you still, there still needs to be an underlying um, ethic of how do I show love and how do I reach out to people who need it? And then when the San Bernardino shootings happened, happened there was, as there is whenever there's an event where uh, a, a radical, uh, somebody associated with Islam commits a crime or a killing, there's a backlash, anti-Muslim backlash. So I was, you know, just knowing, hearing about Muslim students getting harassed, mosques getting burned or threatened, people throwing like a pig's head on a mosque door and just all this stuff that's just, there's no excuse for it. Um, so after that happened, I, I just, I, I knew something, you know, I, I can't solve the world's problem, but I can do something, me. So I called the uh, Islamic Center of Charlotte, or I, actually I emailed them and just said, hey, I'm a local, I'm a Christian minister, Bible teacher, um, and I want to make friends with you guys, with the, with the Muslim community in Charlotte, in my city, for the purpose of showing people that we can build bridges. We don't have to pretend we agree on everything theologically. We don't have to pretend we agree on everything culturally, but we can be genuine friends, and I'd like to connect more. So they, I got a response back from one of their workers there that was just super gracious, like, su like surprised, well, really appreciate it. Would you like to come by for coffee? And my friend Neil, who's now my friend at the time, I didn't know him, but it turned out he was a member of the Kuwaiti and the Palestinian national judo teams and a coach, high-ranking judoka. And I told him, I said, look, I've just been trying to start something to reach the refugee and Middle Eastern Islamic communities or something like that. Um, and I'm trying to do a martial arts jujitsu thing. And he was like, I'd be happy to help however I can. If you ever need me to come teach judo, happy to do that. So that was really cool. And that, that was one of those examples of doors opening and organic friendships happening. So while that was going on, I had reached out to this place, Project 658, so it's like a community center where refugee families come as they're getting assimilated, as they're wanting to be part of the American culture. They need things like job training, English language skills, help with documents of you know legal stuff, um, placement jobs, after school stuff for the kids, summer camp. I mean, just all these needs that, that Project 658 was doing for the refugee community here in Charlotte, which is fairly large. So I came over here and con I got in contact with Laurie Humphrey, who's one of their directors of family ministries. And I came over and talked to her one day and just said, look, I don't, I'm a starving artist. I don't have any, that's my day job. I draw jujitsu and MMA stuff. And I said, I don't have any money, but I am happy to offer a jujitsu class. And I'd like to do a jujitsu class and a women's self-defense seminar for this community in particular. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. When we come back, JM has a big idea. But how is he going to find students? U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. Welcome back to Dirty White Belt Radio. We're talking to J.M. Smith, a Henzo Gracie Brown Belt who runs a free jiu-jitsu academy for the children of refugees and immigrants in Charlotte. In December 2015, he had an idea, but he didn't have any students. And so Laurie, who I'd contacted about doing something like this, this program, she said, hey, I want you to come and I want you to meet my friend Ahmad. 
and I want you to meet his family. They're Muslim, they're from Afghanistan, but they're coming to the Christmas thing. They're a great family, and I really want you guys to connect. So I came, my roommate uh, came with me, and so it was, it was a, a white kid from Georgia, a kid from South Korea, and a Muslim family of five. And we sat, and we're at a Christmas banquet. <laughs> and we sat, and, and it was, the kids were so shy. Like, they were very polite. Um, Ahmad, I think at the time was 15, and Horia was probably like 12 or 13, and then little Mazum was six. And they're very polite, but very shy. Uh, and their mother, very shy, you know, from rural Afghanistan, you know, just wearing the full hajib uh, headscarf and, and not, you know, touching, shaking hands with a man or anything like that. They were just cultural things that made it seem really weird. But so in the conversation meeting them, I found out that the dad had been a translator for the Marines in Afghanistan. He had fought against the Taliban, like with our forces against the Taliban, had been translation for him. He had also had a background in boxing and kickboxing. He works a factory job here now when they brought him over and was in training to get his uh, driver's, uh, commercial driver's license so he could do driving and trucking and make money and get his family into a nice house. Just the American dream, what everybody wants. So we got to talking, but he said one of the things that was discouraging is he didn't have time to train his son or his daughter. And he really wanted his daughters to learn martial arts. So we talked and I told him, I said, they need, I'd, I'd love to have them. Jiu-jitsu would be perfect for them, uh, just for self-defense, and and I, you know, they are always welcome to come. So they showed up that first event we did, and they, between the three of them, there's three, they haven't missed a week. The oldest Ahmad is my senior student, um, and he's he's 17 now. I was here the first day. The kid's a sponge. He's every instructor's dream of just soaking it up, going home, training, repping, watching anything he can find on jujitsu. Yeah, I see a lot of big changes actually. Uh, the first day when you start, there was no mats. Now we have mats, big classes. First the class was small, some guys come in, they left back. And now there's more people in here. I'm happy to see them in here. And it's good training with them actually. He's gotten first at least in one division each time. Uh, he's just really come into his own confidence-wise and maturity and leadership. And that's been amazing. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. When we come back, JM talks about what he wants his students to learn. And also, he learned some things too. Yeah, I hate teaching kids. <laughs> My favorite geese in the world are Toro BJJ geese. Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company produces the best geese, the best rash guards, and the coolest shirts around, all while giving back to the local martial arts and fight community. You won't find better customer service anywhere than at Toro BJJ. And I want to announce special for Dirty White Belt Radio listeners that I'm designing the next Toro BJJ gi, which comes out in August. And if you support us on our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt, you can get an advanced look at it. Support Toro BJJ at torobjj.com, and thanks for listening. Welcome back to Dirty White Belt Radio. I'm Jeff Shaw, and this week we're exploring how and why J.M. Smith created a jiu-jitsu academy for the children of refugees. You know this. There's no community like the jiu-jitsu community. I mean, just the tight-knit, the friendships. You, you roll with people you would never hang out with otherwise. Different politics, different religions, different beliefs, different activity, everything. But yet on the mat, they're some of your best friends. And so I wanted the kids to experience that. So we started the program had about maybe six to 10 kids starting off with it, and we've just been growing since then. We're about up to 30 or so now, regulars. Yeah, the classes did get bigger. We even got some new people today. I did know Bennett, I did know Haley, and 
I did not know Miss Laura, and I did not know Mr. James. Sam. Yeah, Mr. J.M., and I did not know him and everybody else. Well, I didn't know a single person, but ever since I came here, everyone was so friendly. I just started talking to everybody directly. Like when I came, um, especially Laura, one of the coaches, she came up to me and she greeted me, and then slowly all the other children got involved also. It's, it's been really cool because this has connected not just the refugee community, but also other uh, immigrant families have heard about it, and Charlotte families, low-income families, families that just for whatever reason may not be able to afford jiu-jitsu training, they're welcome here. Uh, so this is kind of like, it's, it's a melting pot every week, and I love it. I love the community that's developed through this. This is a family, and you're not going to be bullied here. You mentioned that you're up to about 30 regular students, and I noticed as, as we were training tonight, you pointed out like where people's families were from, and it had to be a dozen different countries. Yeah, from all over the world. We don't have any Antarctic students that I know of. <laughs> but um, yeah, we've got kids that have been through this program. We have kids off the top of my head, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, Burma, Nepal, Cameroon, Ivory Coast. What am I missing? Mexico, Central America. I mean, literally from all over. Uh, and then local people here in Charlotte, too. Kids from right down the street. So it's, it's a global. <laughs> We're a little United Nations on the map each week. You mentioned you've taught before, but you, you mentioned that there's something specific about teaching kids that, that, that I wanted to, to talk about. Like, what, what about this group of kids is special to you? Yeah, I hate teaching kids. <laughs> um, I am better with adults. And so I never thought, like, I would teach kids. But it's one of those things, like, you know, I just joke about, like, only God can make me teach a room full of kids. And, and he did. And, uh, but the kids here, the thing that I love about these kids, and they're my favorite, this is my favorite class I teach, is these kids, these kids take nothing for granted. So the fact that we give them a place to come train is huge. The fact that they can come and they, they earn their gi. You know, we don't, they don't buy their gis. Their Deus Fight Company, our sponsor, who's amazing, they've actually provide our gis that we give the kids. The kids have to earn them by coming and training regularly. But when, when they get it, and I make it an event, when a kid gets a gi, like everybody watches and claps, and it's a big deal. These kids, just the amount of appreciation and respect that they show is unlike anything I've ever seen in any kids program anywhere. And so I hear you might want to compete. Well, it depends on our coach, really, because he was going to choose who was going to compete. And I'm just waiting for him to decide. If he chooses me, that's still awesome either way. So if, even if he doesn't, I'm still fine with it. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. When we come back, American politics meets refugee jujitsu. There were memes on social media passing around that said, as long as there's a single homeless veteran in this country, we shouldn't take in a single refugee. Hey, Jeff Shaw. Hey, Betsy O'Donovan. I've been thinking about submission-only tournaments. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. So it seems to me that submission-only is a pretty cool mix of self-defense and sport jiu-jitsu, where you get to be in a relatively safe environment, but really put your skills to pretty direct tests. Is that your read? I think that's accurate. All rule sets have value, and you get different things out of different tournament rule sets, whether they be points, whether they should be submission-only, whether they be modified submission-only. But there are two things about true submission-only that make it 
really interesting. First, it's a true outcome. You might lose in a points tournament because either you didn't understand the rules or the other person played to the rules better or it, the rule set was more optimized to their game. But if you step on the mat with another person and the only way it ends is one of you taps, there are no time limits or no excuses. And so that's the true submission-only format that U.S. grappling runs. The other thing about submission-only is there's an incredibly empowering thing about surviving an encounter with another human being who's trying to choke you or bend your limbs the wrong way. And that's a real proxy for self-defense. Jiu-Jitsu is about survival, and so is submission-only jiu-jitsu tournaments. So I guess we'll see you at U.S. Grappling's submission-only tournament in Raleigh on July 29th. Can't wait to see you there. I'll be there. You should, too. Welcome back to Dirty White Belt Radio and our road trip to J.M. Smith's Refugee and Immigrant Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Charlotte. J.M. started the school because he wanted to build closer ties between people of different faiths and cultures, and he did it in the middle of a ferocious election in which nationalism and America First took the stage. I want these kids to always know that they are being given something with the expectation that they have to give back. There were memes on social media passing around that said, as long as there's a single homeless veteran in this country, we shouldn't take in a single refugee. So seeing that, I thought, there doesn't need to be an either-or. A friend of mine said yes. She knew a woman who was a Navy vet who was on the verge of homelessness, kind of needed help. So I told our kids, we're going to give her a Christmas. We're going to give her groceries. We're going to take a collection. We're going to help her this Christmas. So the kids, these are refugee kids and refugee families and immigrant families, they pooled together and we got, they brought in like two months worth of groceries for this lady and some stuff. She was an artist. So they got her like some art supplies and we, we, we just gathered it all, put it on the mats and we took a big picture. So there's, there's this, one of our students, you know, a, a, a headscarf wearing Muslim student holding the American flag with another kid from the Middle East holding a sign that says, thank you for your service and a big pile of groceries on the mat that were for a local American homeless veteran. And so you don't have to choose. It's not an either or. It's not a zero sum game. Uh, you know, our country's made better by people coming together wherever they come from. Do you set goals for the program, like either in terms of growth or in terms of things that you haven't done yet that you'd like to do, things you do now that you'd like to do more of, things like, do you think in those terms? For this program in particular, I have certain goals that I want. Um, the biggest goal, the primary goal is relational. I want these kids to develop friendships with each other, but also with the jujitsu community in, in the Carolinas. So anything that networks these kids with local schools or families, volunteers, anything like that, anything that breaks down those walls that, that people even unconsciously put up between themselves and those people, whatever, whoever those people are, that's what I want to see broken down. And, and nothing does it like martial arts and especially jujitsu. One of the guys I roll with, uh, a great guy, he comes, he loves these kids, he helps out with them. And he, during, you know, we've had a contentious election recently, as most of your listeners know, and it's pretty much divided the country. And one of the flashpoints has been Middle Eastern refugees. And there have been pushback against anything that would bring in or, or reach out to Middle Eastern refugees. And one of our volunteers was pretty vocal Trump supporter, you know, social media and during the election. But yet he came and his passion for jujitsu and meeting these kids and actually seeing them and working with them. He's been one of our most passionate volunteers. So you've got a, who stereotypically you would not expect to be a a white middle-aged, he probably hates me for saying middle-aged, but but whatever, I consider myself middle-aged, Trump supporter 
coming in, working with Middle Eastern refugee kids, some of whom are from the very countries that people worry about. And yet this program and the beauty of jiu-jitsu has been that it breaks those walls down. And, and so you've got him like totally invested in these kids and loving these kids. And um, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. When we come back, what's next? I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff, they do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for Thai gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu geese or Valley Tudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one. 24 Lotta Road, right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cageside is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competitors than just about anybody else, and so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cageside Fight Company, 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at cageside.com. Welcome back to Dirty White Belt Radio. We're a year and a half into J.M. Smith's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy for refugee, immigrant, and low-income students. When I visited a few weeks ago, there were more than 30 students on the mat, most of them in matching geese donated by Deus Fight, on mats donated by supporters from the community. The students are clearly thriving, and the program is growing. So, now what? I want everybody to be safe and do not be hard on other people. I would just like for you to grow into a bigger class and for us to have like an actual um, training place instead of uh, training here. I mean, I, I still like it, but it would be better. I'm hoping we get our own place, some big classes, and Miss Jim can find some times and teach us more than once a week. I would like for what we do to inspire copycats in other communities. In other words, I, I want people to copy what we're doing. I want people to, whether, and they don't even have to be jujitsu, you know, like my friend Neil, if they, if they have a judo dojo, if they have a karate taekwondo school, anything, if they're martial arts, if I would want them to encourage them, however they're able to reach out to, maybe your community doesn't have refugees, but I guarantee you they're immigrants. I guarantee you they're low income kids. So things like schools offering five scholarship spots or something for low-income refugee or immigrant kids, you know, schools hosting, putting on a self-defense seminar for women uh, in their local community free of charge, you know, things like that, things where the martial arts community can give back to the community. Um, I want us to be just, just one example of that. And there are other, and schools, good academies in this area and elsewhere already do that but it's something that we can never do enough of. And so the hope for this program is to encourage others, particularly when it involves reaching across lines that aren't comfortable. So reaching across language, linguistic lines, cultural lines, religious lines, um, you know, skin color, nationality, all that kind of stuff. So you mentioned encouraging copycats and like this model to grow. What do you know now that you wish you had known when you started Refugee Jitsu that might be valuable for somebody who's thinking about doing that to know? I, well, I'll tell you what I want them to know, and, and I've learned it now, is if you just do something, like if you, even if you can't, like you may have a vision. I, I, I had in my, the good thing about me is I'm not a type A. I'm very organic and don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I know there's a need. 
And so for some people that aren't that way, I know for people that are more type A or, or you know, very structured in how they think and, and, and tactical in their approach, I would want them to know it's a lot easier in some ways than you think. If you just reach out to someone, whether it's emailing or calling a local a mosque, a synagogue, a church. If you're not, I mean, I know a lot of Jesus people aren't Christians. And so for them, um, I don't want any Bible thumpers coming around. Reaching across those lines and saying, look, I don't have to agree with you on a lot of stuff, but I can still love you and serve you. And we can build community. So just knowing that, knowing that it's not that hard, you just have to get a little creative. Um, That is something I'd want to encourage people with. And the other thing that I know now is, how eager people are to help like volunteers our volunteers here have been amazing the people that can't volunteer but they give they've supported us um there's just been a huge outpouring like people want to see things like this succeed you get your racist trolls and your you know xenophobic and whatever islamophobic or you get that and you're going to get that anywhere they're always going to be negative but the the positive vastly outweighs the negative in terms of people wanting program like this to succeed. And that's what's been really cool to see. This is Dirty Wet Belt Radio. When we come back, we have one last question for J.M. Smith. Are we going to fight our way to peace? Welcome back to Dirty White Belt Radio. J.M. Smith, a Henzo Brown Belt, has started his school for refugees and immigrants. But J.M. is also a Christian, and that raises all kinds of questions, the most basic of which is how jiu-jitsu, a martial art, can bring together people across a number of religions and faiths. I don't want to blow your minds here, but people of faith often have to deal with the fact that currently and historically, radical proponents of their religions have taken up arms against others, from the Crusades to the KKK to ISIS. Can jiu-jitsu, a combat art, help to change that? It's in any combat sport and in most sports in general, you find it. But in jiu-jitsu in particular, I think that the main thing is jiu-jitsu is the art of being comfortable with being uncomfortable and you're physically uncomfortable. Well, that mimics or that once you're once you, let me put it this way, once you're used to somebody who you don't really know on top of you, sweating on you, trying to choke you, smashing you, whatever. Once you're comfortable with that, then just being in the same room with somebody whose opinions you disagree with becomes a lot easier. You know, it's like going to, it's the most uncomfortable you can be is jujitsu. Jujitsu puts you in the most uncomfortable situations imaginable. So once you're used to that, everything else is, is a cakewalk compared to that. So I think that's the beauty of jujitsu is it, it, it puts you in literal intimate positions with someone and you are going at it. You're trying to overcome them. They're trying to overcome you. But you realize that you can do that without any animosity. You can do that without bringing stuff off the mat onto the mat. You can, you can develop this respect and, and it transcends all of your differences that you bring to the mat. The other thing that jiu-jitsu more than any other martial art, or, or I shouldn't say that, jiu-jitsu among the martial arts, but in particular jiu-jitsu requires a high level of trust in the person you're training with. Because, you know, we, we get kind of, we get used to the fact that we're tapping people. But what's a tap? A tap is somebody saying, I quit because you could kill me or severely cripple me. 
<laughs> that's what a tap is. And Joe Rogan's talked about that before on his podcast. Like, that's what you do when you're tapping somebody. You're physically dominating them with things that most of them are lethal, especially chokes. So if you trust someone enough to put yourself in a position where they could physically kill you if they wanted to, and, and that becomes part of your nature, then it gives you a confidence, it gives you an ability to trust people, and it gives you, I think, a perspective on life that transcends and, and, and translates to off the mat. And I think that's why you see that among jiu-jitsu in particular. You see it in other arts, but in particular in jiu-jitsu, you see that, that intimacy that requires trust and discomfort and being comfortable with both of those things, that carries out into the world around us. That's our show for the week. You can email the show at cage.whup at gmail.com. Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You can also get at us on Twitter and Instagram. Our Twitter is DWB Radio, and our Instagram is Dirty White Belt. The show is co-hosted by Betsy O'Donovan and by Lourdes Cantu. This week's show was edited and mixed by Betsy O'Donovan and Alice Wilder. My name is Jeff Shaw. I want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hey folks, Jeff here. Special thanks this month to Carl Krebs, Betty Broadhurst, Cody Malte, Chris Thomas, and Mark Kukrow, who are our Patreon supporters. You can join them by going to patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt and supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month. Thanks, everybody.